welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is Saturday of the 29th week in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Almighty ever-living God, grant that we may always conform our will to yours and serve your majesty in sincerity of heart through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Each one of us has been given his own share of grace, given as Christ allotted it. It was said that he would. When he ascended to the height, he captured prisoners. He gave gifts to men. When it says he ascended, what can it mean if not that he descended right down to the lower regions of the earth? The one who rose higher than all the heavens to feel all things, is none other than the one who descended. And to some, his gift was that they should be apostles, to some prophets, to some evangelists, to some pastors and teachers, so that the saints together make a unity in the work of service, building up the body of Christ. In this way, We are all to come to unity in our faith and in our knowledge of the Son of God until we become the perfect man, fully mature with the fullness of Christ himself. Then we shall not be children any longer, or tossed one way and another, and carried along by every wind of doctrine, at the mercy of all the tricks men play, at their cleverness in practicing deceit. If we live by the truth and in love, we shall grow in all ways into Christ, who is the head by whom the whole body is fitted and joined together, every joint adding its own strength, for each separate part to work according to its function. So the body grows until it has built itself up in love. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. 
I rejoice when I heard them say, Let us go to God's house, and now our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Jerusalem is built as a city, strongly compact. It is there that the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. For Israel's law it is there to praise the Lord's name. There were set the thrones of judgment of the house of David. Let us go rejoicing to the house of the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia. I do not wish the sinner to die, says the Lord, but to turn to me and live. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Some people arrived and told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with that of their sacrifices. At this he said to them, Do you suppose these Galileans who suffered like that were greater sinners than any other Galileans? They were not, I tell you. No, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or the eighteen on whom the tower at Siloam fell and killed them, do you suppose that they were more guilty than all the other people living in Jerusalem? They were not, I tell you. No, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. He told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it but found none. He said to the man who looked after the vineyard, Look here, for three years now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and finding none. Cut it down. Why should it be taking up the ground? Sir, the man replied, leave it one more year and give me time to dig round it and manure it. It may bear fruit next year. If not... Then you can cut it down. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we hear about Pontius Pilate uh, during the Passion, we can kind of get a picture of him as being someone um, fairly weak, perhaps, uh, driven by public approval in the crowd, um, reluctant but able to be manipulated or cajoled. But here we see another side of Pontius Pilate. Actually, he's attested to by ancient historians like Josephus and Philo. And here we're told about a number of Galileans who were brutally murdered and then had their blood mixed with the blood of sacrificial animals. Um, I mean, obviously, it's an act of extreme violence inflicted by this terrible ruler. But in the Jewish mindset, Blood was the sign of the very life of the person. So to have their blood intermingled with the blood of animals, like it, it, it's a truly distressing thought. I mean, it's almost like Pontius Pilate didn't just want to kill them in this life. He wanted to destroy the next life for them as well or something like that. But that's an example of the truly terrible things that we can suffer at the hands of the wickedness of other people. But then our Lord Jesus himself brings up another terrible incident, a tower that had fallen over and crushed 18 people. And so we kind of get this picture of everything that can go wrong in life. We can suffer at the hands of others, and we can suffer as a consequence of nature or, you know, the spin of the wheel of fortune. We're vulnerable to the actions of others, 
and we're vulnerable to the ups and downs of circumstance. We're not immune to tragedy. And one of the common responses in the face of this vulnerability is to ask about merit. Well, have the victims of the disaster somehow deserved the misfortune that's overcome them? And of course, the Lord Jesus answers. He says, nah, no, no. The victims of Pilate's bloodlust, the unfortunate casualties of the collapse of the Tower of Siloam, they're not receiving their just deserts. Now, we might be tempted to think that this was just a notion that belonged to pre-scientific people, but there's a deep question of justice. And it's a question that arises from the heart of humanity in the face of disaster and terror. Why me? Why do I suffer what I believe I I don't deserve? (laughs) Curiously, we tend only to ask a question about the sufferings that we believe we haven't deserved, um, rather than ask about the gifts and graces that we feel that we haven't deserved. But um, that might be a homily for another occasion. But nevertheless, the Lord is quick to point out that there's no direct line between personal sin and personal suffering. Sin does indeed bring about suffering, both for the sinner and for his victims, but we often see how prosperous the sinner can become. And we often see the suffering of the innocent victim. Our lives, they're not invulnerable to disaster. And the holy ones are not the ones who suffer least in this life. And the sinners are not the ones who suffer the most. And, you know, surely Jesus is the one who epitomizes this reality, right? The one who hangs upon the cross. But what's interesting here is that the Lord doesn't separate sin from disaster entirely. We can't impute greater guilt to the unfortunate. That's true. Just as we can't impute greater innocence to the fortunate. But the Lord does say, unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. So, how do these two statements stand side by side? Don't they contradict one another? Well, the Lord seems to shine a new light upon the whole question. Because, well, what is sin? It's a turning away from God. And who is God? He's the source of life. We can't simply draw a straight line from tragedy to culpability, but we can point to the fact that sin and death go hand in glove. Repent, says the Lord, or you will perish as they did. Perhaps not perish by the sword or under the weight of a tower, but death awaits us all, unless we're in communion with God, who is the source of life. Now, this changes our perspective towards the vulnerability of our lives. Yes, we're still prone to suffering and disaster. Faith doesn't guarantee us comfort, a reality which is witnessed by, I mean, countless saints. But my life is grounded in my relationship with God. And so the Lord asks us to repent. Now, you've probably heard this a whole bunch of times from a whole bunch of different homilists, but the word repentance in Greek is um, metanoiete. It comes from the um, word nous, which means mind or reason, and the um, preposition meta, which means beyond. So to repent, to have a conversion, is to go beyond our present mind, our present understanding. 
It's to have a radical change of heart and a shift in perspective. So we find this kind of strange tension now between control and lack of control, between vulnerability and invulnerability. Yeah, life can turn out really tragically. We can suffer at the hands of others. We can suffer as a consequence of circumstance. And these are not things that at the end of the day are actually in our hands. Because if it was just a matter of, well, the ones who deserve it get it, then, you know, you could just make sure that you were the kind of person in life who just never deserved it and therefore didn't get it. But it doesn't work like that, does it? And yet, Jesus reminds us that there's a kind of tragedy that is the truest form of disaster. And that is to lose not simply our life, but our whole selves, our eternal life. That's the point where we're not quite so vulnerable. Because Jesus says, repent, or else you will perish. There's a disaster that we can avoid by means of our repentance. And this is the ultimate tragedy. There's a beautiful quote that's become um, fairly commonly known now, I suppose, um, by the um, French Catholic novelist Léon Bloy. He says this, The only real sadness, the only real failure, the only great tragedy in life is not to become a saint. Now, that's not just a kind of nice thought or a high ideal. Think about it. A saint is someone whose life is in God. The only great tragedy in life is to suffer this ultimate destruction, which is the frustration of our deepest desire, the very meaning and purpose of our existence. Let me finish with one last little quote. Um, It's from one of my heroes, C.S. Lewis, um, from his work, The Weight of Glory. Listen to this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures. When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. What's Jesus' response? Repent. Have a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of perspective. Grasp the life that is being offered. The alternative is to freely turn away from the source of life and to perish, worse than those Galileans whose blood Pilate had intermingled with the blood of their sacrifices. Worse than the eighteen upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever.
Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.